0: One of the goals of this project is to foster engagement among uh, school children in Qatar with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics.
1: At some point, we have to break it to them because this is the reality of it. And What these kids are doing with imagining and having these
2: very curious and intellectual questions, these are important in order to actually make the decision to
3: succeed. Honestly, I think simplicity is key because Sometimes people uh, look at science, science as well as journalism and think that it's way too complex, there's a lot going on. If they do become science journalists and they start asking
4: these questions in real life, start writing articles about them, they're the ones who are gonna make science journalism
1: so much more interesting. Welcome to another episode of Science Journal. I'm Elisa Muffeh, and I'll be your host for today. In today's episode, we are joined by Taiba Kazim and Arisha Lodi, both of whom are students at Northwestern University in Qatar, studying journalism and strategic communications. Over the past month, Arisha and Taiba have been collaborating with Professor Anto and Professor Lugo Logokanto, teaching science journalism to middle school students in schools around Qatar. On the 20th of June, they released a supplement in the Gulf Times under STEM News. STEM News is a collection of news stories on various uh, topics related to science written by 12 to 15-year-old students from different schools in Qatar. Before we kick off this episode, we will be turning to Professor Anto Mahsin for a few words about this project. Hello, Professor Anto. It's great to have you with us today. Could you tell us a little bit more about this project?
0: Hi, Alisa. Thank you. Hello, everyone. And welcome, Taiba and Arisha. It's great to have you guys here. This project is really a community outreach uh, program. Professor Jairo brings his experience as a former journalist and science and health journalism professor, and I bring my background as a formal engineer and science studies scholar to the project. So one of the goals of this project is to foster engagement among uh, school children in Qatar with science, technology, Engineering and Mathematics, or STEM. We also want to improve general media literacy skills. With these two goals in mind, Professor Hairo wrote a proposal, got some funding, and together we gave training to uh, middle school children in how to produce STEM articles. We taught them the basics of journalism, such as asking the 5 WH questions, what happened, when did it happen, Where did it happen? Who were involved? Why did it happen? And how did it happen? The inverted pyramid model of journalism writing, uh, which is foregrounding the most important stuff first, and then add the details in the body of the article, and the important role of interviews and how to do them. We invited middle school children aged 12 to 15-year-olds from several schools in Qatar, and five ended up participating. They were ACS International School Doha, Qatar Academy Doha, Doha College, International School of London, and the Lebanese School of Qatar. We also invited scientists and engineers from VCU Arts Qatar, Siemens Energy, and other institutions to give a presentation and answer students' questions. There was a total of about 65 students who participated in uh, the workshops and events with the scientists and uh, they're welcome to also uh, interview uh, other scientists um, such as people in their family members or others that uh, they know then they wrote and submitted their stories with the guidance of their teachers and out of the uh, submitted drafts 23 articles were selected to be further edited and finally published in the first stem news edition as a supplement and the Gulf Times on June 20th. Uh, It's available in print and online, and anyone who's interested to uh, download the digital copy of STEM news can visit the Science Journal website. We'll provide a link to download the PDF version there. So overall, the project was well received by the schools and the uh, children involved, and and they seem to be eager to, to participate again next time. Helping me and Professor hiro on the project are Arisha, who worked for Professor hiro and Taiba, who's been working with me.
1: Thank you so much for that introduction. It seems like to be a large-scale project larger than I thought. 65 mm-hmm. students is not a small number. Um, welcome, Arisha and Taiba. Could you please share some of the roles and responsibilities you both had to take on during the duration of this project?
3: Um, so, hi, I'm Taiva, and during this project, I was the research assistant and the student ethnographer. So that basically meant that I attended all the workshops with the middle schools um, and the scientist sessions. And I would take notes of everything that was going on, what the dialogues between the students and the um, instructors, the scientists, any communication between them. I would interact with them a little bit, ask them their thoughts, um, their ideas. Um, and essentially I wasn't just taking notes of what was happening. I was also adding in my thoughts. So maybe things about their, the participant behavior, if they were interacting well, uh, if they were interested in a certain topic and after, uh, attending all these sessions, I started writing field notes that, um, chronicled exactly what happened in each workshop and each session and. It it also analyzed, um, like I said, participant interaction as well as um, about the about the different activities we had and how the students um, enjoyed different things and their thoughts. So for me, I was mainly interacting
4: with the students or their representative teachers from the school to put the students in touch with a source for their interview. So they would email me or the teacher would email me by ceasing them and they'd be like, hey, I'm writing an article on this topic and you know, I want somebody to interview for this. So then I would scout for sources who could help them online, Um, preferably finding somebody who's in Doha, who's nearby, but a lot of times their topics are very specific. So I'd have to like search and find, okay, somebody in that field who can provide them with specific answers. And then I'd email all those sources. And because, you know, you can never guarantee who's gonna reply or not, I was reaching out to multiple people per student. And then whenever somebody would reply, I would just CC the student in the email thread and help arrange the interview, um, help them send their questions to the source. uh, They were sending the questions via email instead of setting up a Zoom interview. And in the case, if the student was holding a Zoom interview, I would sit in on the interview as well. And aside from that, I would also give them feedback on their articles when they would, if they would send it back to me. I was also attending the workshops that are being held at these schools.
1: That's great. Both of you seem to have a lot of responsibilities. I just wanted to ask, Taylor, you mentioned something about field notes. Uh, how do you guys use these field notes in um, your project or in future projects?
3: Okay, so basically my field notes will be used as a reference for um, ethnography. Um, teaching science journalism is a rather complex topic, so it's it's good reference, to, uh, my field notes would be good reference to understand how to teach the science journalism um, interactions with middle schoolers and how to educate them on this topic, as well as science communication. And we wanted to uh, use my field notes to better understand how scientists are communicating their knowledge to middle schoolers or to any type of audience. And also when I was writing my field notes, I realized that um, usually ethnographers are meant to exactly mirror the observed reality or whatever they're observing. And, but the problem is that it's only their version it's only one version so in a way everything in my field notes will just be uh, viewed from my lens from my background so obviously you guys have had a
2: lot of success with this project um but what are some of the challenges that you guys had to face during your role as a student ethnographer
3: it was definitely difficult to uh, be an ethnographer when it's on. It's an online landscape. Um, usually, I'm supposed to look out for sensory information uh, to actually understand participant reactions, what they're thinking, how their body language, things like that, which was difficult, especially since most of the students had their cameras off, um, and so, uh, that way, observing participation became more important, how they were talking, what kind of thoughts they were um, sharing. And, and that's why also I had to um, come out of my comfort zone a little bit by actually interacting with them, asking them questions, um, so I could better understand things that it would have been easier to understand if I was uh, physically present at a workshop, for example. So that was definitely a challenge.
2: I think these practices that you guys have been doing like definitely pushes you out of your comfort zone because that's the only way that you can like succeed and do well in your work is stepping out and actually getting the information that you need
4: so i think one of the challenges i faced was um as a journalism student obviously i've contacted sources multiple times for assignments for uh, daily qr articles but i think communicating and you know you're sort of prepared a lot of times for sources to not reply or for them to reply late but I think obviously students were not aware of that kind of aspect of journalism and a lot of times like they'd message me one day and they'd be like hey I need a source for this um, topic and I'd reach out to sources and they'd sometimes expect like a reply in a day or two and you know they'd keep emailing and I'd be like don't worry and at a certain point that still becomes challenging because how do you communicate to these students that you're not like a bad like support system. It's just that sources take so long to reply. Or a lot of times they just go you, And a lot of times they were also emailing me very close to the deadline where, you know, I, at the back of my head, I was kind of like, okay, it's not very practical for me to get sources kind of this last minute, but obviously I'd still try. I think another challenge definitely was that the students, their topics were very interesting um very specialized at times that meant that finding a source would be even more difficult in the sense that i would have to look for sources that are on the other corner of the globe and that in itself creates like so much of a time gap in reaching out to them and getting a response from them in being able to set up a zoom interview even you know the time difference the students have school they have their time zone difference as well so that would be pretty difficult for example one student was writing an article which was so interesting it was about um um plastic eating bacteria. And that sounds like such an exciting article, but the experts for it are so specialized, the companies for it are so specialized, they're mainly West-based. And getting a response from them was pretty difficult. In fact, I think one person did reply to me for that article finally, but it was like a week after the print version came out. So challenges like that were a bit hard to navigate at times and communicate to the students especially without you know discouraging them about the article.
1: That is just similar to what, you know, we go through in real life. Um, You get a lot of delayed responses. Sometimes it's difficult to get what you want. I think that that's such a great way to get the students kind of uh, their foot in the door and to see a perspective of potentially what their future might look like. One thing that was a bit tricky in that sense was
4: as a university student now who's kind of focusing on journalism, you kind of get used to it in a way, I guess, even if it disappoints you. But with these students your job right now is to kind of encourage them to be more involved in science and journalism, right? So I don't want to be like, you know, hey, this is how the world, is. sources don't respond. Like at such an early age when
1: they have exciting articles, exciting topics. You know, we all believed in tooth fairy and Santa and whatnot. And um, at some point we have to break it to them because this is the reality of it. And it is important that they know these kind of stuff no matter how discouraging it might be. But I feel regardless, you guys really pulled through and did a great job because these articles are looking really good.
3: So what would you say are some of the most interesting findings that you came to after all of the workshops, Daida? Uh So when I, was, when I was attending the workshops, um, I was looking at the course material and how the students were reacting to that. I realized that some of our activities would get a bigger reaction out of them. For example, when we were teaching them about the inverted pyramid of storytelling, we used the example of Snow White, and we asked the students to reimagine the story of Snow White in a journalistic way. Um, And so that was really interesting, because you really saw the students' energy levels pick up, because they knew the story of Snow White. And so they tried to reimagine it in all kinds of crazy ways. They were saying, a mystery murder and attempted murder by a stepmother. And those headlines were just really exciting to look at whatever they were um, suggesting. And so that was definitely interesting to look at when their energy picked up, why, what they were uh, reacting to the best, because they were middle school kids. So I thought that it won't be that. I wasn't expecting so much, but after looking at their quality of writing, even their practice runs, when they were just writing rough stories or rough headlines, ideas, it was always so impressive. Um, They would come up with things that sometimes I I can't really write like that sometimes. (laughs) I mean, especially being just like a freshman while uh, attending these workshops, it was was extremely impressive to look at what they were coming up with. (laughs) So I think for me, just the topics and workshops in itself were so interesting at
4: times in the sense that it gave and especially the the way it went on it would give you a much wider view of a much clearer view of how limited our understanding of science is so for example a lot of the kind of sessions kind of focus on nanotechnology And this was something i hadn't heard of myself a lot and it sounds kind of you know physics related and that's like my least favorite science of all but no, when you talk to the actual like engineers, the scientists, and we heard what they were saying in the workshops, it's so much more interesting because it's connecting to either so many important parts of your life. Then one of the workshops, for example, was about three uh, D printing, and even that it goes into so many it went into so many different directions in the sense of okay, you can three D print things from a toy to something as kind of potentially life saving as a prosthetic limb, or you know. An arm, things like that. So just the way everything was connecting to our everyday lives or some interest or the other, even if a person is not very kind of science crazy, that was something that was very interesting to me.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, I think one thing that really to me once I was talking is how they used the Snow White story to teach the the how, how to write in journalism. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And as you said, Adisha, like interacting with actual scientists and being in workshops is very different from like you know being in class. So you remember like not liking physics in class, for example, but when you attended a workshop about nanotechnology, it was really interesting. Um, okay, so my next question for you guys is, what are some of the most interesting behaviors of students or some of the conclusions that you drew after interacting with the students that you think are worth sharing with us? Um, One thing that I found interesting was when I was interacting with the students, I, uh, towards the end of the workshops, I did talk to a couple of them. Uh, One of the questions I asked them was what they thought about certain activities. So we had two videos that we would show them. Um, One about a female, uh, a Canadian female astronaut and then one about uh, a boy of Indian origin who was only 12 years old and he was this extremely great hacker and I would ask them if it was relevant that um, this it was a female astronaut or if it was relevant that this boy was of Indian origin and it surprised me that a lot of the students didn't really care that this it was a female or an Indian boy because they were saying that it just matters on what their career is or what their talent is I don't think it, it really affects me if it's a female astronaut or if it's an Indian boy, it's just impressive that um, they've reached so far, they're this skilled. And it was nice to see that um, they were overlooking things that usually matter so much in the real world. It really matters are you a, like if you're a female or what your background is, what your race is. But for them, they were just looking at the talent and skill coming out of these people. And that was really honestly heart touching. So the first uh, kind of informational session that we had with the scientist was about
4: antibiotics and when I entered this chat, you know, most students didn't have their cameras on, the scientist, like he's talking about antibiotics, but what was so interesting is that once the students started asking their questions, they were so inquisitive and were pretty interesting questions that just went in many directions for example some people were asking obviously getting to know about more about antibiotics themselves some people were even asking questions like okay so what if you know one of these antibiotics they make our own nerves turn against us or our own kind of nerve cells or you know a body turn against us and then some of them had very well researched kind of specific questions these kids have asked so many amazing kind of questions and I don't think I can top that or ask anything that's left. They were inquisitive, thoughtful, they were well-researched. It was really nice to see, especially, you know, considering their
3: age.
1: Might I add, especially since they're kids, I feel like their curiosity levels would have been much more higher. Like the, the ideas, their creativity, the things that they think about are much more like abstract than, for example, someone who is more older in age or more mature or in the field. So I feel like it's interesting to see that kind of perspective, even though you were at one point their age and um, you know gone through kind of similar thing.
4: And I think what's so great about that is that the conversation got more interesting as they started asking questions. So that's such a good sign that when these students, if they do become science journalists and they start asking these questions in real life, start writing articles about them, they're the ones who are gonna make science journalism so much more interesting you know, for the public. Well, Arisha
2: was talking about her, her, uh, what you know, how these questions that these students were asking and how like curious they were. It reminded me of our previous guest, um, Dr. Determan. He said something about in order for us to reach Mars, we need to first imagine going to Mars. And so, what these kids are doing with imagining and having these very curious and intellectual questions, these are important in order to actually make the decision to succeed in technology or whatever. Um, that is happening in the world right now with innovation.
5: So uh, Tayeva, you've mentioned uh, interacting virtually with students. Can you talk more about uh, what was your approach since like there were, you couldn't uh, you know absorb your their uh, body language, um, you know, the way that they uh, react to things in person. So can you expand on how? did you, you know, analyze um, these students' uh, reactions without, even like sometimes they might not have their cameras on. So what was your method to to actually observe them?
3: Yeah, it was definitely a challenge to, uh, when it came to observing them. Um, It was definitely refreshing sometimes when their cameras were on. So at least I could look at a face. Um, But when their cameras were switched off, I had to pay attention to the kind of thoughts that they, that they were sharing. For example, um, there was this one student for one of the schools that we conducted the workshop for who was clearly very enthusiastic about the workshop. He con- he continuously kept asking questions. At one point, um, when we were, we had an activity where the students got to interview Professor Anto about electrification. He actually drew a little diagram of a solar panel and he shared it with the class saying, What do you think about this um, prototype? And do you think that this would actually be useful in, um, in the future? And so that clearly showed his enthusiasm. So I could analyze that a little bit, as well as um, interacting with the students was definitely crucial um, because I had to ask them if they, for example, during the scientist sessions, I asked them, are you interested in nanotechnology? Are you interested in antibodies, immunity? Um, Are you looking at writing a story on these topics? And then they would share that, yeah, I've done research on this. I'm looking into this type of idea. Or no, I'm not really interested in this. I might do something on 3D printing instead. So that was how I could get a better idea of them and flesh them out more as people, as students.
5: Yeah, well, that's uh, really interesting to you about. Now, my question is, um, I, I, I guess, I don't know much about uh, anthography, but I guess there are some standards, right? But that, these are standards when you do them in person, like the way you measure interactions and all of these things. Have you come across anything online, like something that was published after COVID-19, that actually is like, kind of like a guideline to how to conduct um, you know, these observations online? Or was it kind of like... Um, you know, like your approach, like something that you came up with, uh, and with the team that you used to work with, or was it something based on? But I think it's still even early for anything to be published scientifically or in that field, right?
3: Yeah, it is rather early to see anything that's purely online or purely after the COVID nineteen happened. Um, so yeah, before before this whole project started, I was honestly pretty lost. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, ethnography was new to me too. So I did refer to a lot of different resources. Uh, Professor Anto shared a textbook with me that told me a little bit more about ethnography. And all of that was obviously before COVID-19. But So I think I sort of had to look at that and then tailor it to suit me and my environment Um, because a lot of it did talk about being in a physical space being in the same environment as the subjects you're studying um and i had to just tweak it a little bit uh pretend that i was actually there with them except it was through a screen um and so yeah i was going in a little bit new to everything it was definitely a new experience thank you so much you guys so what do you like or what do you not like about being involved in this project? Um, so I definitely loved interacting with the students and learning myself about science journalism, especially since I am now going to start majoring in journalism. It was interesting to learn about the inverted um, pyramid style of storytelling, as well as the 5WH, how to interview people. So I definitely got a lot out of it, (laughs) along with the students. Um, And uh yeah it was a whole new experience for me so it it was definite i really liked that um obviously what i didn't like was that it was online so i couldn't gather as much information as i would have liked to as well as sometimes it just got a little monotonous because i was sitting through the same workshop five different times <laughs> so um but yeah overall i'm really glad that i was part of this project uh so one thing that i liked would be
4: I think, again, just um, the energy of the students and the way they were grasping onto concepts. And the other thing was that it seemed very clear that there were certain topics that all of them were kind of interested in. So mental health, I noticed, was something that they all seemed to want to write a lot about. So that was interesting that you know, you can, by being involved in such a project, you can tell specifically what kind of aspects of science and journalism uh, these students are interested in. One thing that I didn't like probably was that it ended soon. I think for me, like even when it ended and, you know, I would given the feedback on the articles, I think part of me was kind of hoping that professor Hyde was going to message me again with like a new batch of students or something, but it was just over. So no, I think it would be great if we could do something like this again as well. It, It was pretty fun. How does it feel for you guys to be on the other side
2: of the field where you are now the educators and are facilitating these students with their work instead of being the students in this situation. Do you think this supervisor slash facilitator role has changed your perspectives on how education should be approached?
3: Um, It was definitely challenging because especially in the beginning, um, Professor Anto asked me to look over course materials and to sort of make a presentation to be used for the workshops. And what I did was I was making the workshop from a student perspective. I was just adding on a ton of information. It's like, this is useful, this is useful. Um, and it, I was mainly making like a, a learning resource more than a teaching resource. And so it was challenging and it was new to try to think like an instructor. And I saw how to, when Professor hiro took a look at the presentation and started removing information or condensing some things um, to make it more appealing to our target audience um, which was the the students and so I realized that as an instructor I need to be able to simplify materials um, appeal to students anticipate questions as well as simplify things and so that was definitely that was definitely uh, something that I learned from this uh, process uh, so for me um, one thing that I one thing that it made most clear to me was the
4: value of studying journalism itself Uh, because I was going over a lot of the students' articles, giving them feedback. And, you know, we also had sessions or workshops with them where they were taught how to write a journalistic article. And by this point, as a rising junior at NUQ, a lot of the journalism courses we take are kind of repetitive and, you know, we complain about a lot, oh, this is so boring, it's gotten so dry. But I think after this experience, it's taught me the importance of that a lot. I don't know if it's because maybe those values are now so ingrained in me that when I see an article, okay, I want the lead to be this way and the next paragraph to be this way. But I think it also definitely those norms have some psychological kind of reasoning behind it, where you, know, um, you, you see a headline and it, it should kind of grasp your attention or you see a lead and it should make you want to read further. So for example, uh, I, when I first saw the print version, I was just skimming over it, right? Like just looking excitedly, okay, what does this look like? And I saw one headline which said uh, "space to face, face to space" or something like that, and it was about LED lights um, in skin technology. And that was the one article that I stopped to read because that was just so interesting to me—the connection between LED lights that we use for skincare and space. And then I stopped and I did read that article. So yeah, one thing I think has definitely kind of made me realize is not to complain about my classes and to kind of appreciate um, these kind of norms that were taught maybe for journalistic writing and to to share them more widely definitely. Because I think people do have the ideas, they do have the kind of excitement to write articles. It's just these kind of more psychologically based conventions that I think a lot of people would benefit from knowing about, especially children.
1: It's very interesting to see how kind of like in this circumstance, the tables have turned in the sense that we are learning from the children just as much as, for example, they're learning from us. Um, and speaking about lessons, and what are some of the most important lessons that you guys learned about science journalism and about teaching science journalism to middle school children um, from this project?
3: Honestly, I think simplicity is key <laughs> because sometimes people uh, look at science, science as well as journalism and think that it's way too complex. There's a lot going on. Um, if you ask them if they're interested, they're like, yeah, I'm interested, but it's just, it's too much right now. Um, and honestly, we simplified our materials a lot when talking to these kids about it. And they showed the enthusiasm. They they reciprocated that enthusiasm. And I realized that you just need to simplify these things, both science as well as journalism. And it's easy to understand. It's easy to engage with. And in that process, it becomes really exciting. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think for me, the most important lesson for them would probably be to trust in themselves more like Taiba said, sometimes they probably would feel like science journalism, there's too much going on in it. And even when I was reading their articles, for example, a lot of times I felt like they were maybe too closely following what the what the interview uh, interview, the person the interview said, or what the, they had said in their email responses, rather than kind of, you know, paraphrasing it more or kind of not like quoting word to word just what they had said and framing it more the way they wanted because I think they had the ideas that they were passionate about. It was just more about trusting themselves to write about the article that they were interested in. Um, So for example, one student had an interview on life on Mars and it was such a refreshing interview to kind of attend because she was asking questions that she personally was interested in and she was engaging with the interviewee nicely and you know getting to know more about life on mars and then she crafted um a very kind of unique article accordingly which is in the print version so yeah
1: it's so nice and refreshing to hear that i think coming into this you'd often like for example underestimate what the capabilities of these 12 to 15 year olds might be not knowing that one time you were like them and I, now I look back and I wonder what was I like as a 12 to 15-year-old? What are the things or the ideas that came to my mind? Um, and and the whole simplicity thing, I feel like it's really important where, like in whatever field you go into, um, that there is nothing wrong with simplicity. Um, you actually gain more audience if you're simple, like in, in sense of, for example, articles about COVID-19 or a scientific uh project and stuff like that when there's a personality or a personal touch to it people are more inclined to read it to learn more about it so i think that is how you capture people and teach them about science and journalism is make it seem as it's not just something complex but rather something that can be understood thank you Tayeba and irisha for sharing your experience and insight on this project this conversation has really shown the essence and importance of guiding individuals into the world of science journalism from a really young age. We can't wait to see where this project will go, um, and we can't wait to see the second edition, hopefully, Um, and we wish you the best of luck. To all our listeners, you can now head uh, to our website, ScienceJournalQA.com, where you can uh, access the digital copy of the SEM News supplement in Gulf Times. Thank you so much for being here uh, with us, Professor Anto, Arisha and Tayeba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science Journal podcast. Don't forget to visit our website, sciencejournalqa.com, and follow us on Instagram at sciencejournalqa. This episode was produced by Professor Anton Mohsen and his research assistants Elisa Mifleh, Asma Nakhib, Nadir Hennai, Ahmed Jasim, and Hakim Al-Muqtad. It was edited by Elisa Mifleh, Asma Nakhib, and Nadir Hennai. Graphics and artworks were created by Ahmed Jasim.